0: are made possible by donations from people like you.
1: Welcome back everybody. This is my second recording of a Dharma talk that I gave recently on our spring retreat at Stooge Farm in Tasmania. Unfortunately, the internet fell out and The recording stopped after about 17 minutes so i'm re-recording it today october the 17th this is the second installment installment of the eagerly awaited what is enlightenment
0: talk i hope it won't disappoint you too much on the retreat the
1: session We have been exploring the question, what is enlightenment? We have been exploring this question in the DocuSan room, in our private interviews, and also in our open circle. Our open circle gives us that opportunity to enter into that circular understanding process, where we're always on the way to uncovering something else in our understanding In this particular case of our understanding of the topic, what is enlightenment? This is a question that you will return to always over the course of your lifetime of practicing, continually refining your understanding of this question, which illustrates how in our Zen we have a dialogical approach to Zen practice. My job is to enter into dialogue with my Dharma friends on the way and to assist you to develop your own understanding so that your understanding works for you. This is an ongoing project. will never come to the final conclusion. We finished in part one of this talk with the observation that we all have some preconceptions of what enlightenment is. And often they take the form of what Barry calls curative fantasies. I have indulged in at least two fantasies, possibly more, over the course of my Zen life. When I first uh, read the Three Pillars of Zen many, many years ago, I looked forward to some kind of special enlightenment experience that was going to transform me once and for all. But sadly, I discovered this was not to be. Reading about Chaka and her teacher, Mazumi Roshi, only confirmed this for me. Mazumi Roshi, like many Zen masters, one presumes had a number of very powerful enlightenment experiences. But this wasn't enough to um, bring about a state of psychological health. We all know how Mazumi Roshi was entered into sexual relationships with his students and also acknowledged an alcohol problem. This was very disillusioning for Joko Beckham, the reason why she set up her own school of Zen practice and actually dropped the koan curriculum. There's no doubting that these enlightening experiences do sometimes occur, especially in the context of a pressure cooker, session kind of style of session. If you sit long enough and intensely enough, I am sure some special experience will occur, but unfortunately they will quickly pass, leaving our habituated patterns intact. I would say that these experiences can be valuable, but that particular Zen lineage that we belong to overvalued these experiences. These days, in our odd Zen, we prefer the philosophy from little things, big things grow. Or, as Joko Beck might have said, from little things we build bigger and bigger content. Another fantasy that I have been seduced by over the past few years has been the, the fantasy of what we might describe as pure awareness that is beyond this world of constant change. A pure awareness defined as our true self that shines in eternal bliss. This is a very seductive idea because I guess we all sometimes secretly wish for some form of immortality. The so-called direct path teachings, which are very popular, present a travel guide that is easy to follow and to a certain extent, I think, deliver on what they are promising. However, eventually, if we're lucky, we wear out these fantasies. But believe me, it can take a long time. And because following Barry Majid, I am calling them curative fantasies. It doesn't mean that the aspiration for enlightenment is not genuine. It doesn't mean that the teachers are not genuine. We all start with aspiration. And we just need to be careful to distinguish aspiration
0: from expectation. I think we can all aspire to be loving and kind, to be
1: less self-centered cherish life and to care for those close to us and for our community and planet. I think we can aspire to understand ourselves and our world, to ask the big questions. What is this? Who am I? Why am I here?
0: How Am I going to live my life? The question then, what is
1: enlightenment, is a kind of koan. The reason why I think it is important to raise it as a question is because most of us got involved with Zen, with some idea of enlightenment in mind. This idea of enlightenment can take many forms. And as I said, the aspiration for enlightenment, I would say, is a necessary part of our practice. It's what gets us sitting. I started sitting because I had a child on the way and I wanted to do my best to stay with his mother. I think parenting is, in many instances, the first time We really have to start to question the me-first way of living. And if we have an experience being as parenting, being parents, then perhaps marriage or relationship, committed relationship, is an important pathway to developing
0: and challenging our self-centered way of being in the world.
1: And as our practice develops, our idea of enlightenment will change and become more refined. For example, Mm -hmm. you will come across the teaching that enlightenment is our true nature. It is
0: not something we have to become, but something we already are. We just have to uncover it
1: from whatever is veiling or obscuring it. Or we could say, perhaps, practices about
0: becoming ourselves, our enlightened self. Then we have another idea of what
1: enlightenment is, or isn't another kind of koan. Yesterday, on the retreat, we started with a definition of enlightenment as knowledge about and understanding of something the process of understanding. So that's a very general description. I then described how I see the process of understanding in Zen as the circularity of practice or praxis and understanding, each informing the other in a never-ending circle,
0: constantly evolving, with practice being primary in that circle. It is through our practice
1: and then entering into dialogue that our understanding grows. But I think this also leaves out something important that is essential to our understanding of enlightenment. That is our notion of transformation. The practice plus understanding that facilitates Transformation. And because Zazen is a very somatic practice, the transformation, like with psychotherapy, is a long term commitment. There is no magic pill, there is no magic experience. In our lineage, we can't understand enlightenment without understanding the four. Practice principles. As we practice more and more, our understanding of the practice principles also evolves. And although we talk about a no-go practice, it is important to be able to understand that we can judge our practice. In the chapter in Everyday Zen called Enlightenment, Joko Beck talks about stages of practice. We wouldn't make such a sacrifice if we didn't think there was something important about this practice, some kind of transformation that I think we can personally witness. But more importantly, as we live a transformed life, we hope that it can also be verified Not by teachers in authority, but by our loved ones and friends. Joko Beck used to always say to people who came into the San room to report some kind of special or peak experience, I'm not interested in your peak experience. I'm more interested in how your peak experience has contributed to how your partner maybe thinks about how things are going at home peak experiences are useless. if They don't actually transform us in that very practical, down-to-earth way. Noticing the difference this practice makes to our relationships with our partners, children, parents and friends is so much more important than the peak experiences. So there is an important sense in which enlightenment is about the person we become, more about leading an enlightened life than having a particular enlightening experience, albeit though those experiences may contribute to us leading an enlightened life. But we always keep inquiring, always asking questions. What is it about practice that it starts to live through me. What are the recognizable qualities of someone you meet who has been practicing zen a number of
0: years? Are they grounded? At ease? Are they present? Attentive? Do they show care for themselves and
1: others? How do they greet a stranger?
0: Are they generous? And so on. It is said that true Dharma can
1: only be personally realized, it cannot be obtained by logic. Or argumentation.
0: This is true. But what we realize can be shared and I think it's important to
1: reflect on how our practice is transforming. That's the purpose of the open circle. So one of the ways we do this in Ozen is to keep asking ourselves In order to judge our practice. Am I okay with this moment? Am I okay with this situation? Am I able to fully embrace life as it is? This genuine sense of self-acceptance and saying yes to this life comes from this understanding of enlightenment as this basic feeling of being okay in the world, of being at home in the world, a sense of wholeness. <clears throat> when Shakyamuni Buddha saw the morning star, he looked up at the morning star and said, that's me. Perfectly expressing the sudden delight of realizing
0: non-separation. So that's a good place to start. Enlightenment as the realization
1: of non-separation. How does that show up in our lives? In in many ways this sense of non-separation or non-duality is really our natural state of being in the world with others. Self and world in this way are indivisible. Look around this room here and everything you see is here in this room with you, being seen by you. Every sensation and feeling is also being experienced by you. Everything you hear is being heard by you. This is the absolute mindness of the manifestation of all being in our world. But this world is not inside our minds or our consciousness we are in the world with others. The thought that I am an isolated subject in here somewhere looking out at the world is a secondary layering of duality superimposed and reinforced by the subject object structure of language and our culture in general. Language and culture cause us to identify with this duality. And we separate from our experience, and control it, to objectify it and dominate it. And we identify with the story, rather than be non-separate from the experience of just this moment. including also moments when we are experiencing anger or anxiety. Being able to be non-separate from anger and anxiety. We also need to look at the divisions within, within ourselves and our communities, the parts of ourselves that we have excluded. We also have to say, that's me too the parts of ourselves that we may feel ashamed about. To quote Barry Magid, who is very good on the topic, everything in this moment is a Buddha, a perfectly realized being. What a shame not to realize it. What a shame to imagine that a star or any being needs to be something more than it already is. What the star already is, however, is not some platonically pure or eternal essence of starness, but ever-changing. Perfection and change aren't opposites. They tend to be synonyms. Not only don't we have to change in order to become perfect, our perfection manifests moment after moment in change itself. That's a quote from Mary's book, Nothing is Hidden, The Psychology of Zen Koans. And here's a quote from Joko Beck on evaluating our practice. Quote, one way to evaluate our practice is to see whether life is more and more okay with us. And of course, it's fine when we can't say that, but still, it is our practice. When something's okay with us, we accept everything we are with. it. We accept our protest, our struggle, our confusion, the fact that we're not getting anywhere according to our view of things. And we are willing for all those things to continue, the struggle, the pain, the confusion. In a way, that is the training of seeing, as we sit through it. And understanding slowly increases. Yes, I'm going through this and I don't like it. wish I could run out.
0: And somehow it's okay. That increases. For
1: example, you may enjoy life with your partner and think, wow, this is the one for me. Suddenly, he or she leaves you. The sharp suffering and the experience of that suffering is the okayness. As we sit in Zazen, we are digging our way into this Koan, this paradox which supports our life. More and more, we know that whatever happens, however much we hate it, however much we have struggled with it, in some
0: way it's okay. Am I making practice sound difficult? But practice is difficult.
1: And strangely enough, those who practice like this are the people who hugely enjoy life, like Sorba the Greek, expecting nothing from life, they can enjoy it. When events happen that most people would call disastrous, they may struggle and fight and fuss, but still they enjoy it. It's okay. Unless we completely misunderstand what Seshin practice is, more and more we appreciate the struggles, weariness and pain, even as we dislike them. And let's not forget the wonderful moments of Seshin. Then our joy and appreciation may startle us. For such practice, a residue builds which is understanding. I'm not as interested in the enlightenment experiences as I am in the practice which builds this understanding. Because as it grows, our life changes radically. It may not change in the way we expect it to change. We grow in understanding and appreciate the perfection of each moment, our aching knees and back, the itch on our nose, our sweat, We grow in being able. That's a long quote from Everyday Zen, Love and Work by Djokovic. But I think it captures really well this notion of practice being about uncovering this basic sense of okayness which then supports our life no matter what we are experiencing. In our Zazen practice, we are uncovering what I might call original okayness, like in our original face before our parents were born, before duality was born, our original okayness. I have a much better sense of self-acceptance now, after all these years of Zen practice, and this basic sense that everything is okay, not in some Pollyanna sense, a sense of okayness even in the
0: face of the tragic dimension of human life which we witness both in our relationships and in war situations
1: the terrible tragic traumatic dimension of life So let's try and understand this state of mind of what I call our original okayness, which we might describe as a sense of being at home in our world and being at home with others. Just like that star, I am perfect and complete, just as I am. Through our practice, we uncover and recognize this basic sense of okayness that was always there, hidden by our attachment to certain beliefs and narratives that evoke a basic sense of unease and alienation. Whereas our practice with Zazen as our foundation evokes this basic background, almost like a mood of okayness. So it is okay to allow sadness to be experienced in the foreground while I am still
0: backgrounded, if you like, in this basic sense of openness. So other than thinking
1: enlightenment is becoming more spiritual or a more special person, how about enlightenment is all about becoming more human,
0: more ordinary, becoming more fully human, And there is no end, widening the circle of self to become more
1: and more inclusive. From being self-centred and only attending to that which is immediately present to being life-centred in the sense of our sense of care
0: continuously, going more expansive. Barry Majid says, In part,
1: Zen can be thought of as a practice which increases the circle of things we're concerned about and the circle of things we take care of. Zen is about whether the bed gets made, whether the cap gets put back on the tube of toothpaste or the top of the bottle of olive oil, whether the dishes are washed and put away or left in the sink. And if you want to know who we are, we find that out, not by some act of deep introspection, but by looking at what we do, looking outside, no longer seeing ourselves as part of the self-centered dream. We define ourselves solely in terms of our thoughts and feelings, or solely in terms of things taking place inside our head or inside our own body. That's who I really am. I think Joker would agree that who we are is as much whether or not we make the bed or not, put the cap back on the toothpaste as it is what I'm thinking about. Who I am is the quality of my interactions with my world. Who I am is the quality of my relationships with others. And so as our sense of expansive of inclusion
0: widens we begin to take uh, of more and more um, more and more parts of our world not just my stuff but
1: stuff itself for example take the example of living in a communal household and rather than just taking care of one's own stuff and leaving the kitchen sink totally messy because other people did it, you can simply tidy up that stuff without putting this label of that's them or that's mine on it. The self-centered approach to life is therefore very narrow. As we mature, the circle of care expands and becomes more inclusive. And there is no end to this expanding of the circle of the way.
0: This is enlightenment. And this leads to enlightened action. This is the way of Zen.
1: So in conclusion, what is enlightenment? I think enlightenment is the journey we are all on, and it is a lifetime journey. Hopefully, we have lots of enlightening events or experiences along the way, but they are not the destination. Hopefully, in the end, enlightenment,
0: like practice, becomes who we are and not what we seek. Thank you.